Good morning. Uh, open your Bibles to Psalm 29. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and we will get you one. It's good to see that there's actually people here today with everybody sick. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Psalm 29, the word of the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. In his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. The Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Psalms. Thank you for Psalm 29. Lord, I pray as we hear your word that our, we would be corrected, rebuked, convicted, encouraged, built up, edified, that we would find rest, that we would find peace and strength, Lord, in you as we sit under your word. Lord, we lift up those that are not here today, so many of them. We pray that um, we bring, you would bring healing to their body. And Lord, protect uh, your church, Lord, from all the crazy sicknesses that are, are going on out there. Uh, but Lord, as we gather together, I pray that we would take full uh, opportunity um, to be good soil, Lord. We are good soil. I pray that we would have ears to hear. Lord, we have ears to hear. I pray that we would have eyes to see. Lord, you have given us eyes to see truth. And Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit, through the power of your word, and that we would be set free today as we uh, sit under truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, David here in Psalm 29, I believe, um, is simply remembering God's past judgment on the flood, on the world with the flood. And as, it, as he remembers that past judgment, then he is reminded then of just the present awesomeness of God. Um, again, the, flood, the, the word flood is used uh, okay, 13 times, I believe, in all the Bible, and 12 of them are in the actual flood account, or it's 11 and 12. But there's only one time it's used outside of that, and it's used here in Psalm 29. And so I think once we have that context, because there's, I, there's a lot of ways you can go about this psalm, and none of them, are, none of them are, are really wrong. Maybe David is in the middle of, a, of an actual storm when he writes this, and he just thinks about the awesomeness of God, potentially. But even if that's true, I believe his mind then would go to, like, the storm, like the, the flood. Um, and as he, again, as he thinks about that, that scenario, 
he's just he just is reminded of of just how awesome God is, and then he has this exhortation um, for, as he says in verse one, the heavenly beings uh, to worship God. And if 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 there's a call for the heavenly beings to worship God, then there's a call for uh, all of creation to worship to worship God. And so we get to receive this this word today as God's people. Um, a call to worship would be the first section. Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. And this is just a simple, wonderful call to worship. Um, I mean, he's calling heavenly beings to worship God. And we could say, well, how, how dare he, how dare we? But this is even in our doxology, you know, that we sang this morning. We called heavenly beings to worship God as well. In the context of the flood, these heavenly beings could be the, the sons of disobedience even. And so this wouldn't just be a call to heavenly beings. This would be a call to those that are disobedient. This would be a call to um, all of us who are obedient, uh, sons of God, um, this would be a call for um, all of God's creatures to worship God and to worship God simply because of his glory and his strength, because he is holy. A simple, beautiful, wonderful call to worship. Now, we can come to this psalm because this psalm is all about God. And I do think there's this thing where we get in this routine with the psalms and we're like, yes, I'm going to read a psalm and I'm going to find out this crazy situation that David's in and then I'm going to be able to relate to David and I'm going to see how to pray and I'm going to see David go from despair to, to, to victory and that's true and we get to this psalm and we can be like, what, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Where, where am I? Where's the trouble? Where, where's, the, where's the beautiful penmanship of David uh, showing us how to even talk about our feelings and our anxieties and our sin and our emotion and, and just the everyday circumstances of life? We get to this psalm and it's just, boom, it's just, it's God. And it can, I, I think it's good for us every once in a while to just kind of put all that stuff, as real as that stuff is. I mean, this stuff is obviously real. But we all know that the primary reason we come to the psalms is because the psalms relate they relate to us. David relates to us. But remember, with almost every single psalm, David highlights the doctrine of God. We've talked about this with every psalm that we've covered. It, psalms, even the ones that were, you're just like, oh, I just relate. So I love the psalms. I relate to that one so much. All those psalms are grounded in the doctrine of God. And then we get to this psalm, and all it is is God. It's just God. And shoots out of the gate with this just call, this exhortation, this declaration to worship God. Now, one would say, well, okay, who is this God? Why do I worship this God? Why would I? And David then follows up a call to worship with reasons why we should worship. The voice of the Lord is above the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord above the vast water. The voice of the Lord in power. The voice of the Lord in splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. 
He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Siren like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire, lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness, earthquakes. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the woodlands bare. So we have this picture. I mean, the, our mind can go in these verses, 3 through 9. Now, 3 through 10 is reasons why we should worship God. But verses 3 through 9 can make us think all things, all sorts of things because they're, they're pictures, right? And so we can be like, the voice of the Lord is above the waters. What is that? The God of glory thunders. Ah, oh, there's thunder. It's a storm. But when we realize that the Lord sits enthroned over the flood in verse 10, and we realize David is actually talking about the flood, you can almost now just close your eyes and just think about just massive destruction that the world has never seen. Never seen. Hasn't seen up to that point and hasn't seen since. There's a movie that might, see, I go to movies. Is it 2012? It's a cheesy movie. But it's just, it's just like this end of the earth destruction and the cinematography is absolutely incredible. But just the earth being split open and earthquakes and massive tsunamis and water upon water and just how it would just destroy everything in its path. This is why we worship the Lord. We worship the Lord because he is awesome. We worship the Lord because of his power. We worship the Lord because he is sovereign over all of his, uh, all of his creation. Uh, the voice of the Lord is above the waters. Our minds are, are immediately, I'm sure, taken back to creation. And notice the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. Look at the power. It's all by the voice, by the word of God he creates. And by the word of God, he judges. By the word of God, he brings on creation. And by the word of God, he brings on the flood. All, all by his voice. The sheer power, awesomeness of God is, is, is clearly on display in the great flood. And that's why they're to worship the Lord. David thinks about the flood. And he thinks about then, I don't know who he's actually thinking about, when you heavenly beings, because there's different ways to interpret that. He could be thinking about uh, other people that are, are royalty in the, in the kingdom that he's in charge of. He could be thinking about actually heavenly beings, as the CSB uh, has it. But we know that the worship that is due God is due from all of his creatures. And it is good for us every once in a while to just come and gather together and just hear this exhortation to worship the Lord. In, in, in light of and in spite of everything that's going on, in spite of what's going on in our life, circumstances there, circumstances here, oh, no, no matter the week that we had, no matter the week that we think we're getting ready to have, no, no matter the trials, no matter the tribulations, no matter even the victories and the wins, the wins and the losses, it is good to sometimes just hear an exhortation to worship the Lord followed up with just how awesome he is, how powerful he is, how sovereign he is, how holy, the splendor of his holiness. And, and not get into this thing where, where then like you can do to Psalm 29 where a pastor man gets up here and breaks every little nugget down and then all the awesomeness is just stripped out of the psalm. Every word, every picture then is... Is, is, is taken apart, and, and, then, and it's never even can get put back together. Now, when we read Psalm 29, 
It's so simple. It's a call to worship, and it's a call to worship God because God is awesome. And David just uses the great flood as a picture for us. As we can just see um, the breaking of cedars, cedars that I think are 70 to 80 feet tall, like 30 to 40 feet round. Don't quote me. Don't Google me on that, but I think that's what it is. Massive trees just being snapped in half. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. Sirion, Sirion like a young wild ox. Countries just being just totally moved and shaken. The voice of the Lord flashes flames of fire, lightning. The voices of the Lord shakes the wilderness. Again, just earthquake. The, shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. And the voice of the Lord is so terrifying that just deer give birth <laughs> prematurely. I mean, it's incredible. And so we worship the Lord. And all his temple, they all cry glory at this picture, at this sight, at this, at this truth about a, a past judgment that just shows how awesome God is and how powerful he is and how sovereign he is. But we also worship the Lord because he gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And so we don't just worship the Lord because he's awesome and we do have this holy and right fear of the Lord, but we worship the Lord because of his mercy and grace. See, this, even this psalm is not all about judgment. We see the power of God not only in a massive storm such as the flood, we don't see the power of God simply because of a storm that we may face, an actual storm when we hear lightning and thunder. Yes, that's God's power on display. But we also see God's power on display when we think about mercy and when we think about grace. I mean, he judges the world here in this flood, and yet he doesn't judge everybody. He doesn't judge Noah and Noah's family. No, he rescues Noah and his family. And they receive strength. They receive peace. And so, what, what do we do with this psalm? It's simple. We behold God. That's what we do. I don't, I don't know. Sometimes we don't ever know what's going to happen when we get to church. What songs are we going to sing? What kids are going to be well-behaved or not? What are, what are our kids going to do? What is the person next to me going to say? Who is the person going to be next to me? What's the preacher guy going to say? And today, though, it is kind of cool, really cool, to come to church and just get this wonderful, simple, beautiful, powerful picture of who God is. And just not, not like, what do I got to do? Tell me three things. None of that stuff. I hate that stuff anyway. Um, but just beholding God. I, I don't think we do it enough. I don't think we sit with just the truth of who God is and how wonderful and awesome and powerful he is and how gracious and how merciful he is. And, you know, beholding God, when we think about application, we're always thinking about practicality stuff. And, and when we think about practical stuff and practicality stuff, we're thinking about stuff that we can quantify and qualify. Two plus two equals four. If I do this thing, then this is the result I get. And I'm coming to church today and you're telling me to behold God. What, what is that? That is its own reward. Beholding God is its own reward. And, the, and because you can't qualify and quantify what that actually does in a person, we really don't do it that much. Because we want, we want to see results. We want to see stuff. 
We want to make headway. And Psalm 29 says, just not today, just stop, just slow down and behold your God. Remember how awesome he is. Remember how holy he is. Remember how powerful he is. Remember how sovereign he is. Remember his judgment on a sinful world. Ah, remember his mercy and grace. Remember he gives his people strength. He blesses his people with peace. And, and this huge picture of a storm and then it ends with peace. It's so cool. And we think of the calm before the storm. This is like the calm after the storm. This is the calm within the storm. God's strength, God's peace. And so we come to church today, we read Psalm 29, and I believe the application is to behold God. Think about God. Contemplate, meditate, God. God judged the world, all right, with water. Now, now I've just got all these bullet points, all right? God judged the world. This is, now I'm going to show you, and you can take it or leave it, but I'm going to show you how to read the Bible as a Christian, okay? Because a lot of these things, they're not in Psalm 29. But as we read the Bible Christianly, when we read Scripture, what are we also reading? We're thinking about all of Scripture. The Bible isn't a book just like any other book. No, the Bible is the Word of God. And the context of every verse is every other verse. Where? In the psalm? Well, yeah, in this psalm. All the verses before? Yeah, all the psalms before. Every book before. Every book after. That's the context. And so when we read the Bible, I like to say Christianly, then we get to, we get to do things that we do like by default because we've been born again. Because our eyes are open. And there's this, there's this idea out there that when we read Scripture, that we can't actually do what we do, like breathing, which is think about other parts of Scripture. We, we actually are told not to do the very thing that we do just by default because we are ch children of God whose eyes have been opened. And so when we think, and so here we go, okay? Here's how we read Psalm 29 Christianly. When we think about past judgment, it's so, this is effortless. Of course, we would think about future judgment. And so, as God judged the world with water, God will judge the world again with fire. I mean, this is David. This is the picture David has provided for us. This sheer awesomeness and justice and judgment of God on sinful mankind. And by the word of God, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Remember, even Psalm 29 is in context of Psalm 27 and Psalm 26 and Psalm 28. And we've seen there's people, they're out to get David. And David comes to this psalm, he says, worship the Lord, you heavenly beings. He reminds them of judgment. And then we are reminded of certainly of a past judgment, but we're looking forward to a future judgment. We're reminded of a future judgment, and it won't be with water, but it is going to be with fire. It is clear evidence of God's righteous judgment that you will be counted worthy of God's kingdom, for which you are also suffering, since it is just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and give relief to you who are afflicted along with us. This will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And so 
as we behold God, we behold it's we we actually behold a God who is something. It's not our a God of our making. It's not some pie in the sky God. It's a God who judges and a God who judges the wicked. And just as he God just as God judged the wicked in the great flood, he's going to judge the world with fire. He's going to judge evildoers. And so we're, we got this Psalm 29 that is all about God, but it's all about God's judgment. I mean, most of it is, except for the very last verse. Our minds then naturally would think about a future judgment coming, right? And so then as we do that, what else do we think about when we think about the judgment of God? We think about the fact that we are going to escape the judgment of God. That, that in Christ... We escape this coming judgment. Just as Noah escaped, we're going to escape. We know that the judgment we deserve was poured out on Christ. We know that he died the death we deserved. We know that he himself bore our sickness and carried away our pains. And we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. We know that Christ was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Second Corinthians, we read, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so, again, we have this psalm. It's all about God. It's all about the judgment of God. And then, of course, we start thinking about a future judgment coming from God on the world again. And then we start thinking, when we think about judgment, we should always do a beeline to Christ and think about how glorious it is that we will not be judged with the world. We will not be judged with fire. In Christ, we escape the judgment of God. And listen to this. Instead, we receive strength and peace. It's incredible. It's the great reversal. It's the greatest comeback in the history of the world. That a people who were by nature children under the wrath of God, instead of then that being our end game, God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. He saves us, and we have peace with God. And this is the good news. This is how we pull the good news out of this psalm. This is how we read this psalm with a, a gospel-focused lens without pulling rabbits out of a hat. It's, it's, it's simple. It's beautiful. It's how we are to read the scriptures. God is awesome. And here's a picture of how holy, righteous, awesome, and sovereign God is. Remember the flood. Massive, massive, massive destruction. And all by just the word and the voice of God. He creates and he also wreaks havoc. And then he's coming to judge the world again but he's not coming to judge you because of Christ. It's incredible. And the Lord sitting on the throne as king forever, the Lord sits on, enthroned over the flood, the Lord sits enthroned king forever, 
It's not a terror to those that are not going to be judged by God. It's a comfort to us. This is this is where the peace and the strength come from, just knowing that God is on the throne. I mean, we know it gets thrown around all the time. God is on the throne. God is on the throne. Yes, God is on the throne. The same God that creates by a voice, the same God that destroys by a voice, the, the God who judges just with a, with a voice, the God who also in his power displays his mercy and grace, he is on the throne. And because we are not going to be judged, we find comfort in the fact that he is on the throne. He is no longer our judge. In Christ, he is our father. Christ is our king, our savior, our shepherd, our friend. He is the one who sits on the throne. Even he declares that all authority has been given to him. And so we don't run. We don't have to be afraid that this is, this is the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever is a balm to the soul of the weary pilgrim just plodding through life, putting one foot in front of the other. We don't have all the answers. We don't, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know how this, this thing is going to work out. But we know that it's in control of the one who creates by his voice. And the one who judges and destroys by his voice. And the one that's coming back to judge all the evil and all the evildoers. But that one loves us and has, has shed mercy and grace upon us. That is the one who sits on the throne. And the Lord gives his people strength. The Lord blesses his people with peace. And the Lord gives his one and only son. The Lord gives his people Jesus. I mean, this Jesus is, is, again, the fulfillment of Psalm 29. Where do we, where, when did the Lord give his people strength? When did the Lord bless his people with peace? In Christ. It's such a beautiful psalm. And it's a short sermon because it's a short psalm. <laughs> Elijah, you can come up. I didn't want to do this thing that I have a tendency to do. I just talk too much. Um... But as, a, as someone who studies scripture, virtually that's just all I do with my life is drink beer and study scripture, um, is I, I don't want to get up here and just like annihilate this psalm. I don't want to annihilate the metaphor. I don't want to annihilate the picture you have in your brain when you think of this un incredible storm that just by the voice of God just, just comes. And I don't want to destroy and annihilate what you have in your brain when you think about the coming judgment. There is so much evil going on in the world. Hey, God is coming back to judge the living and the dead. And this is similar. I mean, these, remember, these psalms are thematic. So this is similar to last week's psalm in that sense. We, we were reminded of that last week, and, and we're like, okay, something else? No, 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 no. God wants you after Psalm 28, again in Psalm 29, to be reminded that, yes, there was a past judgment, and he wants, you, he wants you to remember that there's going to be a future judgment too. And of course, he wants you in the judgments. When you're remembering the past judgment of God and the future judgment of God, he is wanting you to remember that he gives his people strength and he gives his people peace and he gives them strength and peace in Christ. He's wanting you to remember that you are not going to be judged with the evildoers. And he is wanting you to worship him for that.
He is wanting you to be so grateful for that. That's what he's wanting. I'll close with this. Because this is how you read the Bible Christianly. We just dealt with the psalm that's all about storms. And then we're thinking about Jesus. And then we read in Mark, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. He, Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. So they woke him up and they said to him, teacher, don't you care? We're going to die. He got up. He rebuked the wind and he said to the sea with a voice, silence, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, no longer of the storm. <laughs> and they asked, who is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him at his voice. Guys, there is a storm coming. But we are saved because we are in the boat with Jesus. And we are more than in the boat with Jesus. We are united to Jesus. We are one with Jesus. What a great, what a great call to worship. What a great picture through the word of God as we think about all of the whole word of God. God is awesome and holy and all-powerful and sovereign. And he judged the world in the great flood. And he's coming to judge the world again with fire. But he has given us strength and peace in Christ. He has placed us in the boat with Christ. And we are safe and we are secure. Don't know what anybody and everybody's going through in this life. Don't know about all the, the anxieties and the disappointments and the health issues and the financial worries and marriage issues and kid issues. Don't know all about the sin and the temptation to sin that is in this room. But I do know that collectively, we are all just weary pilgrims putting one foot in front of the other. And here the word of the Lord says, hey, chin up, plot on, rest. Rest in what you don't know, how it's all going to, you know, this here and that here. But you know that God's got this. God's got you. May we then, as pilgrims, and oftentimes weary pilgrims, as we meditate and think about Psalm 29, may we learn to rejoice just a little bit more along the way in this life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We love you. We trust you, Lord, and we want to trust you more. We are reminded today of your great power, your holiness, your sovereignty, your strength, uh, but your mercy and your grace. Lord, give us strength. Give us peace. We are so grateful that you are sitting enthroned, king forever. Amen.